You're listening to the Gator Sports Podcast with your host, Zach Alboverde. Coming in hot. And Graham Hall. Jumping. Coming smooth. Jumping. And the bass gets jumping. Brought to you by the Gainesville Sun and Gatorsports.com. Welcome to the Gator Sports Podcast presented by the Gainesville Sun. I'm your host, Zach Alboverde, joined to my right by my co-host, Graham Hall. And Graham, are you excited? Do you feel it in the air right now? Because I'm feeling like that old Beanie Siegel song. I can feel it in the air. Because right now, I can feel football in the air. You're floating. Man, listen, I'm excited. You're feeling good. I'm feeling good. Game week is almost here. Preseason camp is over. The scrimmages are done. The depth chart's probably set, although we won't see it until what next week. What depth chart? The depth chart. The Florida Gators 2021 depth chart. You think chart, we'll so. get that by Monday of next week? I hope so. But maybe not. Maybe Dan will keep it a secret. What's the over-under for ORs that you think are going to be on that? There's going to be a lot of ORs. I'm thinking double digits. And who knows if we'll see an OR... At quarterback, we definitely know we're going to see two from the Gators this season, as we heard from Garrick McGee this week. We heard from Wesley McGriff about the secondary and several players, including Anthony Richardson, part of that quarterback tandem with Emory Jones, who was not surprisingly acknowledged as a number one quarterback this week, Graham. So we will get into that. We'll talk about the latest commit for Florida on the recruiting trail where things are at with their vaccinations on the team, and certainly the big news this week regarding where things stand with UF on masking and negative tests and vaccines for the stadium this season. But more importantly, Graham, it's almost here. It's going to be full capacity, and uh, football's back. I hope you get your sleep this weekend because we're in for a lot of long nights. I mean, now that... You know, all the news that was lost this week, the alliance happening over there with the Pac-12. I guess I'm going to have to watch some Pac-12 after dark games or whatever the alliance slogan is going to be. Even though, you know, you had a great tweet this week (laughs) with the picture of Spurrier, who really was the founder of the alliance. They stole that name pretty quickly. They did. Less than two years. And I mean, Spurrier was ahead of his time. Always. Once again. That has continued to this very day. I was a little bit surprised that that news came about so quickly. Uh, I mean, it, it seemed like it was in response to the SEC's edition of Texas and Oklahoma. Kind of shocked me a little bit this week here. But when it comes to actually Florida football here, now that we've got the two scrimmages out of the way, we've talked to all the assistant coaches, Yep. and now they can actually focus on game week, a normal game week, which we haven't had really one of those in a long, long time, I feel like. Really, you know, since before the bowl game, and there wasn't a spring game, as everyone remembers. So really, this is the first chance for Florida to get out there and go through what a normal game week is like, the first time in in nearly nine months now. So I'm excited to see what it is. And and I know a lot of people say, oh, it's just FAU. We're looking to head, head to Alabama. We did that last week. But you look at this FAU roster, there's a lot of intriguing things on it you know Willie Taggart one we talked about last week but obviously quarterback Nkosi Perry if you follow Miami former guy under center there hit the transfer portal now is with old Willie in Boca Raton he looks like 
he is going to be the starter next week. So And from the 3-5-2. And a guy who was rated really, really highly. You remember, Zach, what his recruitment was like. It, it looked like that was going to be a guy who possibly could be a big-time quarterback down there in Coral Gables. Didn't necessarily work out for him. Underwent a coaching change. Now he's there with the Owls. So we'll see what he has. You know, I don't think that Florida can come into any game lightly this season because you, you look at this schedule here, there's no room to relax because – you, you look around, they're playing a big-time opponent every couple of weeks, it looks like. And before we jump into where things stand at some key position battles, I do want to just quickly recap the second scrimmage. Now, Dan Mullen did say that a lot of the starters and veterans kind of got held out throughout the scrimmage. So it was an opportunity for the young guys. And from some of the things that we heard and what Dan Mullen said, they, they made the most of it. And you look at a guy like Anthony Richardson had his second scrimmage in a row where he performed really well and showed the staff that he is ready and capable to go out there and do things with the first team offense with the second team and and certainly you saw a guy like Demarcus Bowman even though the Gators didn't have their starting offensive line throughout the whole scrimmage he was still able to make some plays and show that elusiveness once again breaking off long runs so we talked about it last week a lot to be excited about with that that running game and and we also heard from Wesley McGriff about where things stand on the defensive side of the ball but just what do you feel like Graham they were able to accomplish in the preseason and, and what they got done in camp from everything that we got to learn these past two weeks I think building a lot more depth I think we know where things stand in regards to starters at a lot of positions and obviously that's huge but at a lot of positions on this team star defensive back, safety, they need to have more than than two guys capable of playing those positions. And I think that we've seen that depth be built. It's not all the way there yet, no. but we've seen them take steps. Last season, I think that star position was not really one where they were confident with any one guy. You saw Trey Dean there at times. You saw them shuffle a whole bunch of guys there, Marco Wilson. And then Brad Stewart kind of finally stabilized there, but not maybe the level of production that they would want. And he was just kind of a guy that you couldn't and not a huge knock on his talent, you couldn't necessarily count on him for a full season at any one point in his UF career. So now you have two guys, as we heard from McGriff this week, that are really battling for that spot. It does look like sophomore Trevez Johnson is going to end up being the day one starter at the star position. But Dewan Black, I mean, Zach, that's a guy everyone loves to hear about. And for so long, it, the conversation was about his arrival to Gainesville, his potential his impact, when is he going to get on campus? And now you have actually seen that conversation shift to, well, what role is he going to play? Where is he at in terms of the film room, understanding the defensive scheme? How does he react in the classroom? How is he out there on the field? Now he's actually going to be judged. For a long time, he kind of was like that backup quarterback, in a sense. You know, everyone loves the backup quarterback. You know, everyone loves the prospect that is hyping up the Gators before they've got on campus and had a chance to make a mistake. That's been Dewan Black. Now he's going to be under a microscope. And if more good news continues to come out, which is what we heard this week from McGriff, that he is starting to make a lot of those strides, and I think that he will play a large role moving forward, I think were his words exactly. If that is the case, I mean, talk about not only just a feel-good story, but a position where Florida has now built depth with what I just said. And coming in as the nation's number one junior college prospect, you would expect him to come in and have that type of impact. And, you know, he's been playing star. He's been playing safety. I think at times he's even lined up at linebacker. But hearing from McGriff this week, he's going to primarily play star this season. And you look at his flexibility and what he can do from a coverage standpoint, from a physicality standpoint, the type of athlete that he is, and then his measurables – 
we've heard and we've talked about, and I wrote about last week, what you are looking for at that star position, which is, as Dan Mullen said, a unicorn. They're basically like the unicorn of the defense, like Kyle Pitts was on offense. And Trevez Johnson feels like he can be that at the star position, having played corner in high school, but having the physicality to kind of play safety. And then he's certainly got stronger since he's been on campus. So he's a guy that has that type of position flexibility that Chauncey Gardner-Johnson had. And Dewan Black certainly fits that criteria. So it's good to see him kind of finding a home and just simply settling in. We already knew he was going to come in with good energy and just be a good locker room guy. And now that he can get his position down, get the playbook down, he's going to be able to contribute this season. Yeah, I got to be honest. I had serious doubts that just based on the timeline, missing spring camp, arriving in May, basically the onus upon him going through off-season workouts with his position group, but really not getting a lot of hands-on coaching with the guys that are going to be overseeing his development. I thought that, okay, you know, maybe he can come in and learn. And we've seen freshmen contribute, but often those guys arrive in winter, right after December, and they get two full camps. They get eight months. Having four months here, I know he's got the Juco years under his belt. I just didn't think it'd be feasible. And maybe also, I know a lot of people don't want to hear this, but maybe also it's an indictment of how little depth there was at the star position. And you found a guy that, yeah, a unicorn that can come in and play that and fill a need. If he wants to get on campus or get on the field faster, excuse me, maybe play the star position is the key for Dewan. But ultimately, if he is able to play that position, that is absolutely a tell of his football intelligence. If he can get on campus four and a half months ago, adjust to an academic institution like UF from the JUCO level, learn the scheme, and still manage to compete for serious minutes at an extremely difficult position, I mean, I'll, I'll be the first one to admit I was wrong. I didn't think it was possible, but from the sound of it, Zach, it sounds like he's about to do it. And look how difficult that position is to play. You can't just have one guy take all the reps every single game. You're going to need some depth there and a rotation just like Florida wants at every single position. And now they're getting a guy with DeJuan Black to potentially provide that for Travez Johnson. And look, they won some depth and weapons, like I said, at every spot. And it looks like they've got that at quarterback. And when we come back from this first break, we're going to talk about what we heard from Garrick McGee, the new position coach, what he likes about the two guys that have battled it out, and why he feels like both of them are ready to play in 2021. This is Gainesville Sun Sports Editor Arnold Feliciano. Please support our coverage of University of Florida Athletics by subscribing to the Gainesville Sun or Gatorsports.com. It's easy. Just go to www.gainesville.com slash subscribe now. Thank you for your support. Welcome back into the Gator Sports Podcast. Zach and Graham here. And before we get into the quarterback discussion, I did want to mention one more thing about McGriff. I did ask him, just out of curiosity, what he thought about Jason Marshall. We know that that's a guy that could potentially be in the mix at the cornerback spot. And he just absolutely raved about him and his demeanor and kind of the way that he's come in as a true freshman, despite being a five-star and all the hype that he has, and just the way that he's gone about his business, I really encourage everyone to go read that story. And I think regardless of who starts on day one, they've got a guy that I think could be that next next in line of those great DBs that we've seen at Florida. Todd Grantham threw a number out there recently, and that number was 24. 
That's the amount of defensive players that Florida wants to be able to play this season. And Jason Marshall, a true freshman, is absolutely going to be one of those guys. And, and, you know, obviously the unfortunate situation that happened to Jaden Hill, coupled with Florida's just overall lack of real depth at the defensive back spot, has allowed this opportunity to present itself. And, you know, we talk about this when we talk about recruiting all the time. This is something the coaching staff told Jason Marshall would be feasible. This isn't something that just played out by happenstance. Mm -hmm. They told him, a five-star, one of the top 30 prospects in the nation, to leave the Coral Gables area, turn down the Hurricanes, because you could have a chance at starting. A chance. And turn down Alabama. Turn down every program in the nation that would have offered him that chance because he saw that he actually had a realistic opportunity to start at Florida day one, and you're seeing that play out right now. I'm with you that if he is the guy opposite over guys like Elijah Blades, who, yeah, have played just seven games in the SEC but have more experience, if he's out there over Jadarius Perkins or guys like Avery Helm or Ethan Pouncey who have just spent more overall time in the program, I will be a little bit surprised, but you absolutely would have to be so excited if he earns that opportunity to be out there at any point, I think, in the first game because you know he's going to play four games if they choose to use him and they feel he's ready to go out there right away game one oh man get ready he's going to play the whole season and even if Jaden Hill did not get hurt you were going to see Jason Marshall in the rotation playing a lot as a freshman and that's just the way Florida goes about it and if guys are ready they're going to play and that's one thing that Garrick McGee mentioned this week as to why he really respects Dan Mullen. It was kind of a new level of respect that he learned about him last year, seeing things as a defensive analyst and watching how he goes about rotating his players and his philosophy with that. And it's something that he really respects because he feels like it gives guys the motivation going through practice, going week to week, because they feel like if they do a good enough job and earn the right to play, they're going to get out there on the field on Saturday. And Mullen and his staff have shown that year in and year out. And that applies to every position, including at quarterback, where we've seen Emory Jones get PT the last two years. And now this year, as QB1, which we'll talk about, you're still going to see Anthony Richardson in the role that Jones used to play because Richardson has earned that right in that playing time. And that's what Garrick McGee talked about this week. Dan Mullen also talked about on Monday is that especially from the second scrimmage and what he was able to do with a lot of those young guys, he has shown that he can do anything that they ask him on the field, that he's prepared to be the quote-unquote starter. And and that was what Dan Mullen said. Going into the offseason, we want to have two starters at that position. And he always says that, and I think this year they're going to have it again. Last year he got on the field for four games, even though he didn't have that spring. He had the one week like everyone else, got on campus, early, but I mean, that was a kid that was 17 years old, should have been there in in the final spring of his high school year. The fact that now as a redshirt freshman, he is competing for serious minutes. I mean, I think you're going to see him at some point in every single game this year, just because there's, you know, why not give Emory Jones a little bit of a breather. If you can trust the backup quarterback to go in there and stymie your starting quarterback and let him, you know, calm his nerves, whatever it is, whatever the situation calls for, if you can trust the backup to go in there, because I feel, you know, and maybe this isn't a shot on Emory Jones, but I feel there were times last season where Dan Mullen was a little bit hesitant to put Emory Jones 
in the ball game over Kyle Trask. I, I don't know if we're going to see that right now with Anthony Richardson in comparison to Emory Jones, but I think that right now it's clear that Anthony is ahead of the curve. That's what McGee has said, and that's what Dan Mullen has said. He spoke again on Monday and raved about Anthony Richardson for the second straight week coming out of the scrimmage. If you remember the first scrimmage, he threw three touchdown passes. That was one that Mullen offered up to us, and the second one he said right away. He was fantastic. Now, again, you don't exactly know the scenarios for that, but you hear a redshirt freshman quarterback is excelling under a seniority, favoritism, whatever you want to call it, coach like Dan Mullen, and you just got to kind of take a step back and be like, man, that's really impressive. Absolutely, and you look at what he brings to that position. I mean, last year when Jones would come into the game, he certainly brought a change of pace and a different skill set. Well, with Anthony Richardson, Garrick McGee said, we're going to be business as usual. These guys basically do the same thing, have the exact same skill set, and that's what Anthony Richardson said as well. He says, I feel like Emery is electric. He can make incredible plays with his arm. He's you know dual threat, and he feels like I can do those same things. And when I get out there on the field, it's my job as the backup to bring that same type of energy and bring that same type of production. But as we talked about early in the podcast, Graham, McGee did acknowledge Emory Jones as the number one quarterback just by the way that they've been splitting up reps. And even though they've been getting about the same amount, it's still Emory that's starting out with the ones. And that's been the case throughout the spring and throughout fall camp. And nothing that's happened in terms of his performance has changed that. And he was asked what has Emory done to improve his game, especially in the time that McGee's had with him. And he pointed out three specific things right off the bat. He said his footwork. And then the second thing that he talked about was his understanding of the passing game and just where to go with the football, some of the pre-snap things that he has to do, and then just the way that he has to push it downfield and all the different angles that he has to try to find in the passing game. He says he's just gotten better at all those things. And the third is understanding defenses and defensive structure and, and just being able to read things in the passing game. So all of those areas he feels like he's taken a jump, and that's why I think he's solidified himself as the starter. I wonder if Dan Mullen put Garrett McGee on the spot and said, you got to go out there and tell the world that Emory Jones is a starting quarterback. I'm not going to go out there and be the one to do that because I was a little bit you know, taken aback that McGee offered that up right away. Maybe that is a testament to how far advanced everything you just said that Emory Jones has improved upon. But we've known that Dan Mullen has wanted to push his quarterbacks into the very last minute to get the most out of them in the competition phase, but that's pretty much over now. You're getting close to where, I mean, by Monday, if that starting quarterback is not in place, you're you're obviously a little bit concerned. And I know there were some fans out there were, that were kind of wondering, would Anthony Richardson usurp Emory Jones here in the final stretch here? And I just, I never thought that that was absolutely feasible, but they wanted to push Emory to continue improving and, it's the little things. It's not massive strides, and you're hearing that out of his offensive coordinator. It seems to be that he's making those, and you have to be overall, I think, pleased with the fact that they're making the guy that I think a lot of people figure would be the starter battle for the position as if he was kind of on the cusp of losing that job until the very last minute because ultimately that's what's going to get the most out of him. And one thing I really respect about Anthony, and I asked him about this during the media session, was the way that he's been supportive of Emory Jones on social media and every time he gets named in like these preseason lists and top five and which quarterback is going to have the best season in the SEC you'll see 
Anthony Richardson retweet these things and say Emory Jones. And this is the guy that he's competing with for playing time. And it just speaks to the type of guy that he is, the type of teammate that he is. And when I asked him about it, he said, hey, man, that's my guy. He's been with me through my recruitment. He's been like a big brother to me. So it just shows their type of relationship and why this works. And he feels like they're going to be able to be a one-two punch. And it just you know, shows his pride for the program. And it's, I think, obviously a little bit special coming in from Gainesville uh, after playing at Eastside High School. And when we come back from this last break, we'll talk about another guy from a 3-5-2 and that we got to hear from this week and what it's going to mean to him to be out there with Anthony Richardson this season with kind of their history. And then we'll also recap some things on the recruiting trail and wrap up this episode of the Gator Sports Podcast. Sports Pod, Zach and Graham here. And in addition to Richardson, we also got to hear from Trent Whittemore this week, 352's own from Buholtz. And obviously last year got to kind of make a splash in his first real playing time as a receiver here and made one of the, I think, one of the best catches of the season in that South Carolina game. He high pointed it and uh, obviously made some other plays throughout the year, but then took that tough rib injury that Oof. he talked about last night and, uh, Sounds like it took him a while to recover from it, but he just talked about where he's at, what he feels like about this passing game, this receiving corps, and and just what specifically that slot spot could look like. But uh, really excited to see both him and Anthony Richardson, two Gainesville guys, playing for the Gators. I mean, it's just always a cool storyline and scenario when that happens. Yeah, you forget kind of that Trent Whittemore was really in the conversation last year and getting some good reps until he had that injury that, you know, I felt up there from the press box. I know Edgar Thompson made that joke last night, but once I heard that he had a punctured lung, I mean, I kind of struggled to breathe a little bit. I'm asthmatic already, and I was feeling like I was gasping for air just thinking about what that felt like. Also, you're taking it from a 250-pound guy, you know, pummeling you into the earth at the same time. It can't feel good. And for him to work his way back into the rotation and be here now, I think is tremendous and a testament to, you know, his ability and his work ethic. There were some people that were questioning when he initially committed to Florida as a three-star prospect, if this was kind of just a reach, considering that he was a, a Gainesville guy, his mom played at Florida. I mean, all these ties to the area that people thought that maybe that that was why he was coming to the program. But now you're starting to see, no, he has a whole bunch of ability. I mean, we knew, I think that we kind of have a unique perspective here because we've covered the high school scene really for the past decade, if you combine both of us being here. And we remember when the Whittemores, First, his older brother went to Division One. He went to Troy. And then you saw Trent start to come up. And, and he was playing every position on the Bobcats for a while. There was a game I watched him. He was actually sick, according to his dad. And he still managed to play punter, wide receiver, quarterback, <laughs> defensive back. It was insane. I mean, the guy was all over the field. And we got to hear last night what it was like going up against Anthony Richardson at the high school level. For those who don't know outside the Gainesville area. Buholtz versus Eastside is a pretty testy rivalry. There's only three really dominant Gainesville teams, and all of those games get pretty testy. And Anthony had to remember them. 
it was a little bit tough for him to reminisce <laughs> on one of those. We've got to be honest. But uh, Trent also remembered him and had some great comments to say about him. Yeah, I mean, being a former wide receiver when he was a freshman and being out there on Eastside's team and looking like he was already a college prospect, he really caught Trent's eye. And then obviously he became the quarterback that he developed into. But also on the basketball court, both of those guys hooped and they faced off against each other several times when Buholtz and Eastside would play. So it's just kind of cool to see how they've come up through the ranks. And Whittemore is obviously born and raised here. Richardson moved here when he was 10. But both have that passion for the program. They've been to so many games when they were in high school, and it's just uh, a little bit different for them when they run out of the tunnel. And uh, obviously they remember back when they were recruits and sitting in those stands. And speaking of recruiting, the Gators once again got a pledge on the trail this week, their third pledge over the past month, adding to their 2023 class. So that's three total, and they've gone into the state of Georgia to get athlete Aaron Gates, who is recruited to play cornerback for Florida and recruited by Jules Montanar. So uh, he's a guy that had offers from Georgia, Georgia Tech, Miami, Michigan, a lot of prominent programs, and still early in his recruitment, but over 20 offers, and he just put out his top 10, but visited for Friday Night Lights. He got the offer from the Gators in June and decides to uh, pull the trigger and commit to Florida's 2023 class, already off to a good start. The other two pledges are both top 100 guys, and they committed around that Friday Night Lights week. So for the past month, the Gators have kind of got that class going and still I think feeding off that momentum from Friday Night Lights. To build consistent momentum into the season with 2023 guys, when you're also going to want to start getting them to campus for games, for unofficial visits, before you really see that period ramp up there when the clock turns over to January, that's huge for Florida. There are some programs that haven't landed 2023 kids for months. The fact that Florida has built momentum in the last month and landed multiple prospects is you can't understate that. That is huge for them when it comes to, like I said, the next recruiting cycle, because programs are going to look around and see where other kids are going. And if Florida is a desirable destination after the bowl game next year, that's going to be huge for their 2023 class. I know people love to look at star rankings and where Florida's ranked right now. And you look at how they're kind of on the outside looking in of that top 10 right now, if they keep up the momentum that they have in the 2023 class, this is definitely going to be a top 10 class. No, they already got a lot of prospects in state that they've kind of made a good impression on early on. If they can certainly build more momentum throughout the season and get that amazing atmosphere against Alabama uh, that's just going to continue to build for the Gators. And obviously not just football to look forward to this fall. You also got some other sports starting up. We saw the new soccer regime kick off, Graham, and then obviously we got volleyball getting ready to start this Friday. Yeah, Becky Burley, for those who don't remember, retired after last season. Didn't take her long, though, to find a new home in coaching. She was the interim coach for the Orlando Pride this season. Meanwhile, Tony Amato has taken over the Gators soccer program that is kind of in the midst of a rebuild. Let's be a little bit honest. They aren't one of the ranked teams in the top 25. They open the season at USF, who is ranked number 20 in the nation. USF won that game 2-1, to one, and then the Gators battled in double overtime to a 1-1 tie to Texas. So teams showing some fight early here uh, in Antonio Matos, um, beginning of his new era of Gator soccer. You know, that's got to be huge footsteps for him to follow here, following in the wake of the coach that really created the program here. So, you know, got to be a little bit patient there. The wins will come. Absolutely. And and I'm looking forward to kind of getting out there. I'm a big 
soccer guy, and I know, Graham, you had a chance to uh, write a really good feature on Mary Wise this week and kind of where she's at with her program. 31st season as U.S. volleyball coach. It's kind of incredible what she's built here and, and where she's at going into this year. Yeah, her 35th season overall as a Division One volleyball coach. It's amazing. You know, I, I kind of say this is a little bit of a gripe of mine that – she is absolutely underappreciated in the University of Florida athletics community, not by the administration. They know how amazing she really is. But I think on the outside, we often are consumed with football. And you look right now, she is the all-time winningest female coach in NCAA Division I history. She has a chance to end up passing Mike Krzyzewski at Duke and be the all-time winningest NCAA coach if she keeps coaching here for three four more seasons she absolutely has a chance to do that she's not that far off only about 115 or so wins so uh, I caught up with her about as she heads into the 31st season they're heading out to Sacramento for a three games and two nights Hornet Invitational beginning Friday and then they're playing Stanford on August 31st out there wrapping up the month of August with the Cardinal before coming back here to Gainesville to continue their season Gators ranked number six in the preseason poll they return four of five all All-Americans from last season's team have an all-SEC freshman as well and signed four freshmen, one of who is one of the leaders on the U-20 Team USA uh, Olympic team. So a lot of excitement uh, in Gainesville as Mary Wise and the Gators prepare for her 31st season here in Gainesville. And one guy here who will tell you how great and goat of a coach she is is Steve Spurrier. Oh, yeah. He certainly recognizes what she's done and, you know, Great recognizes great, right? What are the, what other reference do you need but that? I mean, you don't need three references if you're applying to a job if Steve Spurrier is writing you the recommendation. And speaking of Spurrier, I'm sure some folks saw this week, he went out and just straight up said, hey, I'm calling it. Gators upset Alabama in the swamp. So I'm sure Gator fans across the country were happy to hear that prediction from the head ball coach. We'll see if it comes true, but first we got to get through week one. And as we come back next week, we will preview the season opener against Florida Atlantic. That finally. feels so good to oh, say. Finally here. Yes, absolutely. So appreciate all of you for making it through the offseason with us, giving us a little break in the summer. But now camp is over. Game week is almost here. And we're looking forward to it. For Graham Hall, I'm Zach Albuquerque.